college football as it's like going to be UCLA once again in the Rose Bowl. After their blazing victory over the Trojans of USC, the fourth quarter touchdown pass UCLA a 21-18 victory for 85,000 fans. Here's an urgent flash from our newsroom. In New York City, oh my God, there's been a nuclear accident. afternoon and welcome to Acting Up, an hour of resistance radio that explores the movements that made us, drawing from the activist archives throughout the voices of resistance today. My name's Em and I am joined in the studio as a co-host by Megan. How are you going? I'm very well. How are you, Em? I'm good. Glad to be here. So before we start the show, I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and sovereignty has never been ceded. So this week is the second installation in our retrospective series, looking back at the amazing history of Friends of the Earth here in so-called Australia. And if it's your first time tuning in, Friends of the Earth is the world's largest grassroots environment network. We're active on every continent and campaigning on some of the most environmental and social issues around the world. And this year at Friends of the Earth, we're celebrating 45 years of resistance. It's been 45 years since we started mobilising communities, resisting the oppressive forces of patriarchy to nuclear racism and transforming our future to a more just world for all. Now today we'll be taking you through the politics of the time over our 45 years of campaigning here in so-called Australia, what we did and why it's still important. Indigenous sovereignty is at the core of our work. In the early 70s, FO was part of meetings with traditional owners in Kakadu. We've tried to keep this as a part of all of our campaigning work to various, uh, to various degrees of success. Indigenous solidarity gathering, Jabaluka and Yorta Yorta native title claims are defining campaigns in our history. Now today we are going to be taking a look at the Indigenous Solidarity Gatherings foe organised in 1997 and 1998 that aim to gather people in solidarity with Indigenous peoples and the earth. We'll be speaking to Anthony Amos, who helped organise the conferences, and Monica Morgan from Yorta Yorta, who spoke at them. We also have Jim Green joining us to talk about some of the outcomes of the gatherings, as well as hearing some audio from the conferences. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples should be aware that this broadcast contains the voices of people who have passed away. Now, we're just going to go to a quick community service announcement and we'll be back. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC. 
a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Acting Up on 3CR. We're celebrating Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday. This is a retrospective series we're doing looking into our 45 years of creative resistance. I'm Em, joined in the studio by Megan, and we've got Anthony Amos in here with us to discuss the Indigenous Solidarity Gatherings for ran in 97-98. Hey, going, Amos? Yeah, good, good. Thanks for coming in. So Faux ran two ISG events in 1997 and 1998. So what was the reason for hosting those events? Uh, well, there was a whole host of reasons, but the, the basic idea was for um, non-Indigenous people to hear directly from Indigenous people and hear about the struggles that the Indigenous people have been having on, on country. And uh, the other idea was to open up you know, potential networks where environmentalists could work uh, side by side with in Indigenous people and we wanted to um, highlight various issues around the country and um, that was it in a, in a nutshell, I suppose. And so what was the political climate like at that time in terms of you know environmental organising and land rights and sovereignty and that sort of thing? Well, I came out of the forest movement and there was very little stuff going on there really in, in Victoria. So what happened in 94, we organised an Australian Forest Conference I've got the book in front of me. There's only one copy left in existence, and, and that's wow. it. And for that conference, we invited um, uh, some Indigenous speakers to speak, and I transcribed the, the conference papers after, after we, we did this event, and I found that the only um, interesting information, really, was coming from the Indigenous people. I mean, um, you know, the, the, a lot of the uh, uh, non-Indigenous people were, were basically quite boring. They, I mean, um, <laughs> the, uh, the real interest to me was, was what the Indigenous people were, were, were talking about. Robbie Thorpe gave a speech at that conference, and that absolutely floored everyone in the, in, in, in the auditorium. And for a lot of forest campaigners, I think that was the first time a lot of them had, ever, had, had even entered, entertained the notion of, of Indigenous rights over, over the forest that, 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 that they were trying to protect. So f that was in about October 94. And then um, we had an idea in about early 97. Well, why don't we do uh, a conference, um, a gathering where we'd invite Indigenous speakers to speak and people that were in solidarity with Indigenous struggles and we organised that from early 97 and that was um, held, uh, we did, had an event, North Melbourne Town Hall in, I think it was, I'm rusty on dates now, um, sometime late in 1997. So we had about 40 speakers um, and how we organised that is we basically printed up some posters and then just sent them out in the mail. Yeah. And if we got a bite from people, well, we, we tried to fundraise and, and invite them in to speak. And, uh, yeah, we had a, a, a pretty amazing line-up um, for that conference um, in 97. Mm. Uh, we got burned on that in terms of we lost a lot of money. Um, one of the organisers um, had connections in Norton, uh, with Native Americans and we had some Native Americans come out for the event and the cost blew out, um, long story, and we ended up with a $9,000 debt. Right. So, so then we had to go into fundraising to make up the $9,000 debt. And um, then, um, you know, we decided to have another one in in uh, 98. And so that was um, with um, under the guidance of Uncle, Uncle Larry Walsh, who's, who stepped in, and uh, we had a really cracked team of about a dozen of us uh, working out of the Friends of the Earth office there for about uh, a year. Mm. And uh, we met every week and just pulled together this uh, 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 the second gathering, which was held on the banks of the Maribyrnong River um, over there in Footscray. Uh, um, and we had a, a massive tent there. And I think all up we had about 600 people turn, wow. up, turn up over yeah. Over three days, including, I, I can't recall how many Indigenous speakers, but I, I think it was up to about 50, 50 to 60. Yeah. Uh, Archie Roach and Ruby Hunter did a few benefits for us, um, and they played at the event as well. Um, and, yeah, that was a, 
a real um, real uh, event. Yeah, sounds like it was a pretty big undertaking, both of those. Well, yeah, I mean, our group of a dozen, um, after we did the event, unfortunately the group imploded. Um, I think the stress of organising it and... Um, and that was the end of our, our little ISG group. But what we wanted to do was we wanted to get the uh, spirit of what we were trying to do and get it into, um, get other folk groups to um, organise similar events. And, and I'll dub them in. Friends of Earth Brisbane said that they'd do it in 2000. But um, <laughs> still waiting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they could, Brisbane uh, listeners out there, you know, you've it, was, <laughs> it was a really hard act to emulate. Yeah, I bet. And, and really for the, for the second conference, if we didn't have um, Uncle Larry on board, uh, you know, it could have ended up in all sorts of issues. Mm. But um, we, we sailed through and yeah. um, uh, the first conference was recorded, but the second one was recorded, but I've never, um, we've never got round to uh, airing any of it, so, yeah. um, which is unfortunate. Yeah, well, we've got some of the audio from that coming up, but we thought we'd start off with playing some, um, a little bit of a speech from Annie Pauline Gordon, who's passed away, who spoke at the first conference, and she has a pretty amazing um, family history and activism. Did you want to say anything about that speech before uh, we played? Yeah, look, she spoke at the first conference. Um, she was the daughter of, of uh, Uncle Jack, Jack Patton, who was a key organiser uh, throughout New South Wales in the, uh, in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. Um, yeah, no, she, she really was a, a, a force, really, and, she, and her speech was quite amazing. Um, and Auntie Pauline came down for the second conference as well, and um, certainly blew a few greenies' minds at the second conference as well. Great. All right. Well, let's hear that now. My father used to be, used to go around and travel around through his country and right from here, right up to the uh, Tweed, up in the north coast, fighting for Aboriginal rights. When he got married, he went up the north coast and married my mother, Selina Avery, and she's a Bundjalung woman. And he said to her, when they was camping on the river bank on the Rocky River, up there on the Clarence, and he said, Celine, and they're walking naked, and that was the way they lived. And it wasn't so very long ago that was the way those people lived, off the land and, and living like that under squalid conditions. And he said to her, Selina, when I go back to Sydney and hitchhike back to Sydney, I'm going to fight, he said, for the rights of Aboriginal people and justice for them. And that was the first time on the Rocky River up there that he dedicated his life for his people. So at any rate, uh, Mum went down to um, La Perouse and uh, he used to send people, Aboriginal people, down to her on the train to take them to eye hospital and doctors and things like that because at that time they didn't have pensions. At that time, actually, we didn't exist till 1967 referendum. And Dad struggled around there and he'd walk around the missions and hitchhike all the way up from, from the Murray all the way up through to the Tweed along the coastline and out west, as far as out west of Walgett and right out through there and back down through into Queensland, into um, uh, Victoria. And he'd turn around there and he'd, he'd uh, wait down on the, on the beaches and uh, uh, on the river banks and that because he wasn't allowed on the reserves and missions to talk to the Aboriginal people there and uh, because they classified him as a, um, a stirrer, stirring people. When they had the Aborigines settled down quietly on the missions and that, well, they couldn't afford my fa the likes of my father coming along and asking how, how they were treated on the missions and reserves. And they used to sneak down there to the river bank and on the, on the, on the, on the, on the uh, seaside and meet my father there around a campfire they'd build on the, on the sand. And they'd tell him the conditions and what they lived on, what went on on those missions and reserves, reservations. And he'd go and he'd write that back. He'd travel around and get all that information, write through all the reserves and write back down to the Murray, write through Victoria. And he'd write that down. He was the first Aboriginal man to publish a, a book, a magazine, and it was called The Abo Call. And in that book, he turned around and he wrote and connected all the people, he used to sell it to all the people for sixpence a paper. And they used to know and get to know uh, what, how other people, their other people were living on those reserves right across New South Wales. Because at that time there was sort of no, everyone was isolated from everyone else and there was no sort of communication. There was no such thing as television or radio. You had to be very rich to own a radio at that time. It was during the war and the, and the depression, depression years. So 
I'd like to, um, oh, he was thrown into jail and, and classified as, uh, as a tree, uh, for treason. He was charged with treason. He was thrown into jail time after time after time when the government and the sheriffs used to come along and try and move the Aboriginal people along the riverbank and tell them to shift somewhere else, always resettling them and moving them away after they finished using them. Cheap labour to open their lands and fence and, and uh, look after their, their, their properties and that. And then they'd get rid of them then and try and move them away. But the people refused to leave because it was their traditional land that they were so spiritually affiliated with and they had nowhere else to go. So the police used to come and try and force them and, sh and, and chain them and, and move them on to right, right away out of sight. So my father, he, he fought all that. He fought all about that in that time, day and age. Yes, you're listening to 3CR. This is Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday retrospective history series. And today we're talking about the Indigenous Solidarity Gatherings that FOE ran in 1997 and 1998. And we just heard the audio from the 1997 conference then uh, with the late Auntie Pauline Gordon telling us some of her family history um, within activism. And we're joined in the studio by Anthony Amos, who was one of the organisers um, of the 97 and 98 gatherings. So obviously there were some big learnings that came out of that, some really amazing speakers. What would you say were some of the biggest lessons for you from the 97 conference? Oh, well, the big one is, is support Indigenous uh, sovereignty. I mean, um, you can't get around the fact that we're on Aboriginal land. I mean, and, you know, the, the entire nation is living... Uh, yeah. You know, in this state of de of, of denial, um, uh, I don't need to tell people, uh, listeners to 3CR that. But uh, yeah, so um, you know, support Indigenous uh, uh, solidarity struggles, uh, Indigenous sovereignty, um, and just support grassroots Aboriginal initiatives as um, as much as you can, and. Um, the, you know, I, I guess they, they were the key uh, um, sort, of, sort of lessons, I guess. Uh, and I guess in the se for the second conference, it was quite um, apparent, you know, that that the real power in the country is is with the Aboriginal people in terms of of of, of protection of country and 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 looking after land. And um, it just seems bizarre to me that we've got this sort of enforced political structure on top of. On, on top of this, you know, um, incredible sort of a bank of knowledge that in, that Indigenous people have, and um, I can't see any way that this, you know, enforced political structure is going to have any sort of uh, sustainable sustainable solutions to anything that um, any of the land issues that that um, are coming up at the moment. Mm. So yeah, it's essentially uh, support grassroots struggles and support Aboriginal sovereignty. Mm, absolutely, still a very poignant message today. And now we're going to just go quickly to a CSA and when we come back we're going to hear some of the audio from the 1998 conference. We're going to hear from Auntie Monica Morgan who is going to be talking about her struggle and her experience as a Yorta Yorta person and their issues that were going on in 1998, so we'll hear from her after this. For 45 years, Friends of the Earth has been mobilising communities to resist the destructive industries like coal, gas, nuclear, and to transform our world into somewhere better. Come celebrate with us as we celebrate 45 years of creative resistance. 25th of October at the Gasometer, doors open at 8pm with a welcome to country at 9pm. The lineup includes Alicia Joy, Hello Tut Tut, Mortisville, Claddy and more. You know it'll be fun because it's Friends of the Earth. See you there. You can get tickets online or at our famous food co-op at 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. Friends of the Earth are a proud supporter of 3CR. I give honour to the Indigenous peoples from this country, the land that we walk on, the land of struggle where things have started, the invasion. I give honour to my elders that are here today. Thank you. Thank you for your persistence and your struggle to survive and hand on that honour to me. I give honour to my people, the Yorta Yorta, 
because without their resistance, continued fight, continued survival through all the atrocities that has happened to our people, I thank you for my existence. The Yorta people at the minute are with unity with all Indigenous peoples from Australia and around the world. We're in a struggle for survival. It never finished. It never stopped with the colonialists coming into our country, invasion. It is continuing to this very day. We use all forms to fight. All forms to fight and to show that we are who we are, that we have never ceded our sovereignty, that we will never cede our sovereignty ever, that no amount of legislative programming, no amount of genocidal attempts to wipe out or extinguish us will ever survive us. We're here to tell you today that the Yorta Yorta people are in solidarity with all Indigenous peoples. We're in solidarity with those non-Indigenous peoples that choose to stand up beside us. Because it's a very hard thing within this society, within these laws, within this part of regime, for you to stand up beside us. Because you are controlled the same as we have been attempted to be controlled for over 200 years. The story of the Yorta Yorta people is a story of Indigenous peoples throughout the world. It is a story of colonialism, of capitalism, of trying to take what is not theirs. My people have our dreaming stories. Our dreaming stories are our creation stories. They make us who we are. No other people can force their stories on us because we know who we are and we will assert who we are. We've just come through a campaign of four years under the native title legislation. Who guides our struggle is our elders because before us they, they moved the struggle. Before them they had people in the struggle. So we have a continuum of knowledge, of knowledge about how the system operates and they've had to work and use the system for that survival. We should never knock our people for attempting to use the system any way they can. But what we have to do is keep each other accountable, accountable to each other so that we don't move too far into the system. And this is where the elders and their knowledge is very important. But elders too need to understand that this system also has a lot of tricks that are different than the old days, but it seems it's, it's the same thing, but very subtly trying to control us. And it's called native title, it's called ADSIC, it's called all these different names that are there to try and keep us within their boundaries. Non-Indigenous people don't need to understand that we not only fight to keep our own existence and assert ourselves at every stand, but we need to do that amongst you too. Because in your eagerness to try and compensate for those things that your ancestors have done to us, you need to learn protocol. You need to learn that Indigenous peoples can do it for ourselves. You need to know where your limits are. And we're hoping the next three days we'll give those to you. We can't, we can't bleed for you. We can't open our guts up and say, you can take any more because enough's been taken. What we need you to do is to educate yourselves, to realise the system that you operate in, unless it changes, it is always going to oppress us. We're not going to be able to change the system alone. The system needs to be changed by you within. Hopefully, what's going to be talking, talked about is these different forms of legis legislative process are used to try and disempower us. They're not there to empower us. I'll give you an example of what's been happening to the Yorta Yorta people and it's the same for all our mob. Our mob have been part of a resistance and asserting ourselves. We've been part of the mission system. We've been part of the genocidal practice of taking children away. We've been part of that welfare mentality. We've been part of a CDP program that keeps our people in poverty. We're a part of all those things. 
but we're also a part of in any form and shape asserting ourselves. Our people will occupy. We're in occupation of the Dania Centre at this very minute. We will use marches. We will use all forms of um, resistance. We will also use the Whitefellas Law. And in four years, three and a half years, or three years, something, it seems forever, we've been in the federal court under a native title application. We didn't do it to say we recognise their law, but it is one form of fight. We have 500 respondents opposing us. Three state governments, South Australia, New South Wales and Victoria, six shire councils, a conglomerate of timber, graziers, beekeepers, recreational users, you name it, anyone who has a financial interest in our country. We put a claim over the whole of our country, not parts of it, because every part of our country is ours. We didn't cede it. We recognise that the legislation may say that freehold country is off limits, but we say it's still our country. We put up, our, our elders put up our dreaming stories, took people to our sites, created for them a mirror or, or a window of op opportunity for them to see us, who we are. The response from the New South Wales Government were that we're a dispossessed, half-caste, ashamed to our ancestors because what, black women had babies to white men. They refused to acknowledge the campaign of destruction and genocide that was wrought against our people. They refused to acknowledge that their history made us who we are. But we're not ashamed of who we are. We will never be ashamed because we still walk on our country. We still recognise our family groups. We still know our blood from our country and that's the most important thing. Last week we took occupation of the Dania Centre because the Victorian Government is just legislated a mirrored version of the Ten Point Plan. The Ten Point Plan has tried a final act of genocide to eradicate within the common law, which they can't do, that Indigenous peoples have rights to country. They have mirrored a Validation and Confirmation Act last week. We had maybe 200 people there in support of Indigenous people's rights in Victoria and Australia. What they were trying to do was validate that a building that was funded by black money on black land, part of our, our way of trying to share our culture with non-Indigenous peoples, extinguished our native title. That means this building here that they tokenly given to the Wurundjeri or the Wurrung people here extinguishes their native title. We say we don't agree with that. We will do an occupation as, as a sticking point, as a focal point, but we say we've got to move towards hand back of country to our people. The court can only do so much. Resistance can only do so much. It is going to be the will of the whitefellas out there to change, decolonise your minds, to find out where you are in your place in your history, to make amends for the things that are happening. Don't feel guilty. Change it. Listen to Indigenous peoples, don't talk over us because we know the answers to ourselves. We, have, we are not all one people in our own communities but we will deal with that. We know exactly where we're going. We will take many roads to get to where we're going but we will get there. But it has to go together. Sovereignty for the Yorta Yorta people will never change. It is not something that will happen like this year, next year. It's something that's there all the time. And no matter what type of laws and those type of things you put on us, we will not change. We will not, you will not get rid of us. 
but you have an opportunity to make sure the system changes because just operating in the system, acknowledging that the constitution and all those and the capitalist system that here is there to now, operating within it and not on the... And you've got to get into it. Don't be on the margins. I know that many of you people here are so disenchanted with your own mob. You're disenchanted with the system that your parents have put you in, your grandparents have put you in. You can make the change. It's not too late. It never will be too late. For the Indigenous people here, there is a time and a place where we need to vent what needs to, or, or to plan and strategise amongst ourselves. We need to be open and honest and constructive in these three days. There is a time and place for us and we're inviting Indigenous peoples to come to the Danya Centre on Monday and Tuesday to Yorta Yorta Country so that we can strategise as Indigenous people. We can share common commonalities. We can share the struggles and we can also look to what we're going to do in the next century and how we're going to carry the struggle through and how we're going to uplift, it, live, uplift our children. Now we must focus on how we can help non-Indigenous peoples find their way. And this is what I hope we can do today. I acknowledge my mother. Thank you very much, Mum. I acknowledge all mothers and people here, being a mum and a granny myself. <laughs> Thank you. You are listening to 3CR, Radical Radio. This is M. I am here for Acting Up, and we're doing a retrospective series on Friends of the Earth's 45 Years of Creative Resistance. And today we are looking at the Indigenous Solidarity Gatherings that were run in 97 and 98. And the audio we just heard there was from the 1998 gathering by Auntie Monica Morgan from Yorta Yorta. Um, incredibly powerful speech there from her. And I'm joined in the studio with my co-host Megan and we're speaking with Anthony Amos who was involved with organising the conferences. So we just heard some of the audio from the 98 conference. How would you say that compared to the first one that you ran? Well, the second conference was much bigger mm. um, and the issues were a lot more uh, diverse. The first conference was... Um, uh, largely to do with speakers from, we had a couple of speakers from uh, northern New South Wales, uh, a few speakers from Victoria, and we had a, a, a delegation of, of, of Navarangi women who came over uh, to talk about all the issues with Hindmarsh Bridge, which was very topical at the time. I think we had about 12 aunties came over from there. Um, and this, the second conference was, was a lot bigger. Um, a lot more speakers from uh, Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia. We had a couple from Western Australia, if I recall. And I remember we got a 24-hour warning that um, 20 Kunkajuda aunties were about to step in a bus and come to the conference. Um, and they were coming in from around Cooper Pedy in Central Australia. And so we had to, uh, we were already very hard organised and then all of a sudden we've got 20 elders coming in. Um, and uh, they they arrived at Spencer Street. I wasn't there to see it, but apparently there were some Wurundjeri dancers for for something else and on, at Spencer Street that evening. And they saw these aunties get off the, um, off the train and they gave them a welcome to country straight at the train station. So That's the, amazing. The, the, these aunties were, were definitely stepping in the right way. So um, uh, um, the second ISG conference, we, we wanted to open up the, the, these avenues of communication and um, I think from recall there was about tw seven campaigns that were in the nascent form of, 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 of forming. I don't think... Um, I don't think and I think the Kunkajuda um, struggle and, and uh, their fight against a, a nuclear waste dump, I think that was the most successful outcome from the, from the 98 conference in that uh, there was some organisers that were at the conference and then set up an uh, environment office, I think, or a centre in Cooper Pedy and um, 
and, and Dr. Jim can explain this, the significance of that. I should also say, uh, listening to Monica's talk, um, people mightn't be aware, but there was a, uh, the Barma National Park, uh, was established in 2010, and I think, um, around the late 90s, uh, Friends of the Earth was starting to work in, on, on, on that campaign. So I think, uh, the conference also helped, um, strengthen some, some relationships in terms of, of working towards a better outcome for, um, for the Barma Forest as well. Mm, absolutely. So yeah, we were talking about, yeah, the outcomes in terms of kind of establishing some relationships with the Kungajita women from the Cooperpedia area. And we've got Dr. Jim Green in the studio, who's, um, an anti-nukes campaigner who was, sort of worked around that campaign for some time. How are you going, Jim? Yeah, good, Em. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for coming in. So um, you worked with the Kungajita for some time around that campaign. So how did that kind of move on from after those relationships were established at the ISG? Well, I think one of the really significant things was that uh, a group of young women, mostly from Melbourne, uh, went up and lived at Cooper Pedy because there's only so much you, c- you can do uh, you know, 2,000 kilometres away. And, of course, mobile finds was in its infancy then and we didn't have all the social media and all that sort of stuff. So that was key. Uh, and then a group of uh, a conga groups formed in a number of uh, cities and towns around Australia, uh, women only directly to support the conga Judah based at Cooper Pedy. So by that stage we had an, a good grassroots network around Australia and there were groups like Friends of the Earth that were heavily involved in all sorts of different ways. But, um, yeah, the Kungas provided practical leadership and, and moral leadership and were an endless source of inspiration. I, um, I worked f- uh, for a good six years on that campaign, so I've got all sorts of memories, but it's the little ones that, <clears throat> it's the little ones that stick. I remember we had a conference in North Adelaide and by late afternoon we were all exhausted and all I had to do was get from one suburb in Adelaide to another and fall asleep on the couch. But before we did that, we loaded the Kungas into the back of a truck where they had to sit on wooden benches to drive for nine hours to Cooper Pedy. So they were hardcore. Wow. And once we asked them to come down to speak at the Adelaide Town Hall and it was packed out, it was fabulous and had really good outcomes from that. But they had hit a bullock on the way down, but they still made it and they were also petrified of the idea of of dancing and singing in front of a thousand people they'd never met before in a in a foreign environment, but they did that, and uh, they were just incredibly inspirational. And it was, uh, yeah, it was amazing to be able to win that campaign mm. eventually. And so that campaign was about a waste dump on their land, is that right? Yeah, the Howard government wanted to build a national nuclear waste dump on on their land, and uh, so there were a lot of Aboriginal groups with interest in that land, and uh, the Kungajudas were acknowledged as the elders who were going to lead the fight fight for that country mm. so it's, I guess it's great to see yeah that there were some mis- relationships established that kind of came out of that conference and you know going on from that campaign around the waste dump that was one what would you say kind of went on from there well unfortunately we go from one victorious campaign to stop a national nuclear waste dump to another one <laughs> so we, then it was eight long years uh, for Makati traditional owners in the Northern Territory and they won and again it was fabulous to be part of a victory but these campaigns leave absolute carnage in their wake especially for the Aboriginal people it just takes so much out mm. of them uh, so now we're back at it again. Now the f- current federal government's targeting South Australia. But we do have to hold on to the wins. And if you don't mind, I might just read out a bit of the Kungas winner's letter. Absolutely. Because uh, it's quite inspiring. And just to give people a sense of how these letters were written, this was uh, Claire Brown and the young non-Indigenous Kungas scribbling down notes while the, while the elders spoke to them at Amuna Aged Care and Cooper PD. Uh, People said that you can't win against the government, just a few women. We just kept talking and telling them to get their ears out of their pockets and listen. We never said we were going to give up. Government has big money to buy their way out, but we never gave up. We told Howard, you should look after us, not try and kill us. Straight out. We always talk straight out. In the end, he didn't have the power. We did. He, He only had money, but money doesn't win. Happy now, Kunga winners. We are winners because of what's in our hearts, not what's on paper. About the country, bush tucker, bush medicine and Inmar, big happiness that we won against the government. Wow, it's really inspiring to hear that. And when was that written, that? Uh, the, 
Howard uh, gave up on the dump in uh, July 14, 2004, so this would have been a couple of days after. Great. And just hearing that, Jim, and also uh, Auntie Monica's speech back in 1998, it just it just sounds like such timeless stuff. You know, you could say the same thing again today and it, um, you know, it would still sound exactly the same. How was it received back then? Was it... Well, it was just a really, really weird set of circumstances. We had the Murdoch media on our side, so they were celebrating the Kungas and supporting them just as we were, um, which was really, (laughs) really weird. (laughs) And uh, the South Australian government was on side. Uh, Well, can you get them back on side again? (laughs) Yeah, and get the Murdoch media back on side. It was just strange, but... um, It's just hideous what's going on now with this nuclear waste dump and uranium mining. It's just casual, bipartisan, gross racism. Uh, Liberal and Labor just as bad as each other, state and federal governments, with all this nuclear stuff and a whole lot of other issues besides. Um, You feel like we haven't made much progress, but, I mean, what can you do? We've had a a few wins along the way and we just have to keep fighting. Yeah. And that's, yeah, what it's all about, I guess, just keeping up the fight. Yeah, and also to remember what uh, I think it was Dave Sweeney said last week on the show was that the win is that it's never happened. So yeah, it's easy to easy to forget, but they yeah. haven't got that. Yeah, and uh, meanwhile, nuclear power is undergoing a global crisis, and that means the Australian uranium industry is in crisis. So uh, just through market forces, we're very much on the front foot with a lot of these things. Yeah, it is just about. 24. You're listening to 3CR. This is Acting Up and we're doing a bit of a retrospective history series on Friends of the Earth's history. We're chatting today about the Indigenous Solidarity gatherings that were run in 97 and 98 and some of the outcomes of those. We might just go to a CSA and we'll be back after that. Red Alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun, which way the wind blows. Coming towards the end of our show on Acting Up today on 3CR, chatting with Anthony Amos about FOE's Indigenous Solidarity Gatherings from the 90s. Now, while we've been chatting, Amos, you've found um, some of the resolutions that came out of one of the conferences, is that right? Yeah, well, what happened um, after the first conference, uh, we had a, t- a two-day strategy session up at a place called Common Ground at Seymour, 
and we're up there for two or three days just to you know work out um, how we can w- uh, work with each other and 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 support you know um, support the grassroots indigenous struggles uh, not only in Australia but around the world. I'll just go on a little bit of a story. At at, at that strategy session, we were um, about to start it, and um, w- what had happened was we didn't have a um, a traditional person from from the Tongaron country at at that meeting, and um, an, an, uh, an indigenous person from Victoria was saying, "Well, look, I'm not really comfortable about giving giving a welcome to country. You know, uh, it's not my country. I come from another part of the state, and some of the elders were getting a bit, a little bit upset. And I could, I, I was worried that the thing was going to go pear shaped, you know, quite quickly. And just when, just when the tension was at its ho- most heightened, um, the door burst open into into the meeting room." And there's this guy, I, I, I didn't know who he was, and he came in and he had, his, his eyes were glowing, and he just said, welcome, welcome to the land of the Tongarong people. And uh, that was my first meeting with, with Larry Walsh. Um, and he timed his, his entrance to absolute perfection. It was, and as soon as he did that, we had a, a, a really amazing uh, strategy uh, session up there for, uh, f- for about two days. But anyway, out of the out of that strategy session, as I've just found, we we got some resolutions. And for me, these are like the br- the blueprint for how environmentalists, if they want to um, work on environmental issues uh, and support indigenous struggles, I think I think the, these eight points sort of sum it up. So I can read them yeah. if you like. So this meeting recognises Aboriginal sovereignty and accepts the rights of Indigenous people in upholding a customary law in Australia. It is accepted that an appropriate way of acknowledging Aboriginal sovereignty is to pay the rent to be paid via the appropriate right law elders in council. Two, this meeting undertakes to establish a network supporting the recognition of Aboriginal sovereignty in Australia through international forums. Three, uh, nationally, this conference agrees to establish a network of information, resource sharing and support to further the recognition of Aboriginal sovereignty. Four, this meeting asserts that, be, that, that there will be no reconciliation until there is recognition of Aboriginal sovereignty in Australia. Reconciliation requires an end to genocidal action, return of lands and waters to traditional custodianship and full recognition of Indigenous rights as determined by traditional customary law. This meeting finds reconciliation unworkable until, until these demands are met. Five, this meeting calls for the release of all political prisoners within Australia. Indigenous people, are, uh, indigenous people in prison are political prisoners as they are incarcerated under a foreign law in their own country. Six, this meeting declares the regional forest agreements null and void unless there is explicit consent from elders and council. Seven, this meeting supports and thanks Friends of the Earth for its working and organising this gathering. Eight, this conference recognises that many of the problems facing the Indigenous people of Australia and the South, South Pacific are caused by the exploitation of their lands and cultures by mining, forestry, agriculture and other resource-based companies and individuals. The network formed by this conference will enact a social action campaign to raise awareness and highlight the activities of companies involved in such activities. So yeah, they were the um, the resolutions from the from the strategy session. So I guess if you want to work in the space, um, support those resolutions, and that is your first step. And I feel like you know, pretty powerful stuff and pretty poignant today. Still, as much as it was back then, I guess I wonder, you know. You've been at FOE for quite a long time, still active now. What's your impression of how things have changed, um, you know, in terms of FOE's solidarity or supporting Indigenous sovereignty, like, since back, those conferences back then? Um, I th- well, I, th- I think FOE's still pretty solid on it, um, uh, and it, it flows and ebbs. I mean, I guess when there's an emergency that, and, and, and there's support required, um, FOE kicks in, into gear. Other times it, 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 it quietens down a bit, um, so there can, it's sort of like there's a, a period of um, relative quietness, and then all of a sudden, bang! And, and you know, and folks still supporting um, you know indigenous struggles on the ground um, where we can. I think the Nukes campaign's been going for 40 years, and they're still you know really solid on it. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's still apparent. I think a lot of the younger generation are, are certainly switched on, um, and I, th- I think it's something that, that, that they really want to support. But, um, and I guess the issue for a lot of people is how do you actually harness that willingness of support into something that's actually going to actually work on, on, mm-hmm. on, on the ground? And I guess the only way you can do that is actually do it. Um, and uh, yeah, look, it was a huge learning experience uh, for me during those years. And um, our little group, the ISG, imploded um, after I said, uh, you know, after the um, second conference. And you know, and you know, the amount of stress and and um, that it took out of all our members was huge. And, and I, I remember an old saying I read somewhere that. Um, an indigenous person in WA had said, he said, um, greenies are like a, a Toyota, they burn out and then you, and then you get another one. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, the, the capacity of, of, of our little group, I mean, we, we put in 10 months and, um, you know, I could see the, um, you know, uh, the, the, the edges fraying on, 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 on our little group after 10 months. So, it's hard. It's 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 really hard. Um, and you know, and, and the second conference, we um we had two people working on fundraising the uh, the whole time. They couldn't get one cent. And it wasn't until the last week that we got a, a substantial donation. I think it was a, I think it was about two thousand dollars. And and that was it. I mean, it's. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I just want to acknowledge a, a woman in our group, Nagami, who, who actually um, j- uh, jumped off the Westgate Bridge uh, a, bit, a few years after the after the um, after the conference, and her um, her input into the conference was was quite amazing, and she sorely missed. Mm, absolutely, yeah. So it sounds like it was, you know, there was a lot of amazing work that came out of it, and it was a lot of stress. Overall, when you look back at the conferences, how do you feel about that now? Uh, I, look, my personal feeling is I would have loved to see another group come up and and keep keep trying to do what 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 we were doing. Um, I should say that um, FO did organise uh, another event through um, an affiliation group called Lasnet back in about 2010, and they had another. Um, ISG event, I think it was about 2010, 2011, um, and, and they had it at series. And, and LASNET is still doing really good work um, in terms with Indigenous struggles, um, particularly in South America, but, but also in Australia as well. So Marisol does a lot of work with 3CR, so she's, she's heavily involved with that group. And like I said, there's been support, um, you know, even 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 the last year or so on the Western Highway that struggle to save those old trees. I mean, mm. there's been five people go up there, and I'm sure the people that have gone up there and camped uh, up there have have, have 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 learned a lot. And um, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of struggles to come. Um, I sort of personally, I th- I would have liked to see um, a, a lot more concrete stuff happen after after that time, but. You've got to have a, a, a good collective of people struggling at the same time, and I think what we did, um, it'd be really hard to match again, but we did it, and I'd love to see those tapes somehow get transcribed, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll I'd love to hear that stuff um, being aired. Um, um, it's really, really important, and, and a, a, a lot of the discussions, I've been reading some of the conference papers, th- this stuff doesn't date. Yeah, absolutely. it's still as relevant now as it was then, and um, and the message is still really, really important. And I was listening to Aunty Wajalabina. She, she, she uh, was from from Dumaji, Northern Queensland, and um, you know, and uh, we, Fo was quite closely working with her for for a number of years. And I just heard her her speech that she gave in the first conference the other day, and I, yeah, it brought back all all those memories again. So. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. Mm. And I think it's great, you know, from my perspective as a younger person at FO, it's really great to be able to chat with you about that and, you know, have some of that history and make sure that we're incorporating that work that's already been done as part of our past and, you know, trying to work from that and, yeah, learn learn from things that have already happened, which I think is really important. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, this has been... Uh, uh, Megan, sorry, do you want to... Yeah, I might just um, 
before we close the show, uh, do a quick shout out to the folks at the Japarang camp yeah. who are today seeing machinery on their country, um, heavy machinery doing earthworks uh, for the first time in 16 months. So if you can, they are calling for people to join them on country. So go get up there. Yeah. Thanks, Megan. And we are coming to the end of our show now. This has been Acting Up, and we are doing a retrospective series looking at Friends of the Earth's 45 years of history. Thanks for joining us in the studio today, Amos. Thank you. Looking back at the ISG conferences from 97 and 98. Thanks for joining us too, Megan. Oh, it was, it was great. Coming up next week on the show, we are going to be looking back at Friends of the Earth's history with food. So we'll be looking at the food co-op through the years and some of the work that FOE's done around pesticides and organics. We'll be streaming the episodes on demand via 3cr.org.au slash acting up. So check out the page there. And if you have been involved in a campaign at FOE and you want to get involved in the series, you can contact FOE to get in touch Send us a message via our Facebook page or you can give us a call at the office. Coming up next, we've got Jan's Tuesday Home Time, another long-standing Radical Current Affairs show, so looking forward to that. And we are going to go out on a song today that was recorded from the 1997 International Solidarity Gather- Gathering. And this song is from the Tent Embassy and it's sung by Winniada. Thanks for joining us today. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. I'm honoured to represent the Aboriginal Embassy. They want us to move us, say, about a month ago. But we will stay, stay, stay. We won't be moving. Um, It's lovely to be back in uh, Melbourne again. It's been a while. Um, this um, song was written by Mop from our Sherberg Mission in Queensland. support the embassy so the white man can stand and see the door of Parliament House asked if the boss is about They say he's gone away He won't be back for many a day Whoa, poor black man Whoa, poor black man while we sit at the fire at the embassy tent Waiting for the word from the government The weeks and the months and the years go by Maybe we'll stay here until we die Whoa, poor black man Until we've won, we're gonna stay here until the job is done. We're gonna stay, see it through, cause we're doing it for all of you. Whoa, poor black man. Whoa. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.